Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. I am thrilled to introduce my special guest on this episode, Heather Plett. Heather is an international speaker, facilitator, and writer who specializes in the art of holding space. Participants of her Holding Space Practitioner Program have come from six continents to join her online at ended in-person retreats where they learn to offer deep listening and compassionate support to others and to themselves. In September 2020, Heather will be publishing a book on the art of holding space. She lives in Canada with her three daughters. I'm so excited that you're joining me for this episode today, Heather. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is one of the most energizing topics in my line of work and perhaps in yours as well. And I'm really excited to dive right in and talk about holding space. We hear this phrase used so often, especially today, I'm holding space for you or I'm holding space for myself. And I wondered if you could start out by sharing with our listeners what it really means to truly hold space. Sure. So I, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about for about 10 years, this concept, and it keeps deepening. And every time I try to define it, it has a little bit more nuance than the, the time before. But the way I, it shows up for me is that holding space is really, um, it's about presence. It's about being willing to be present in the messiness and the chaos and the fear and the disruption and not try to change it or fix it or um, direct it or control it. And it's a, so it's, a, it's walking alongside people in a compassionate way, in a way that respects their autonomy. It's about sovereignty. It's about holding each other with, with respect and honor and, and not... Um, not, you know, I, I think one of the opposites of, of holding space is this idea of colonization, of trying to control people. So holding space is allowing them to have their sovereignty. I think that is such a, a beautiful description. And when you talk about the control aspect, many of us have been born into families where control was, you know, the number one uh, focus, you know, how to control a child's behavior, how to be controlled. I know I grew up in a very controlled environment um, with two fairly controlling parents. No offense to them. They did the best they could. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we're not actually taught this beautiful art of not fixing, not controlling, not changing, not trying to disrupt what's in front of us. How do we learn this incredible, powerful yeah. way of being for one another and for ourselves? You know what? I think it has to start with how we treat ourselves uh, because I think this this tendency to control and to need control over our children and over the people in our lives a lot of that is rooted in our own 
sense of uh, not necessarily treating ourselves with as much dignity and respect and love and compassion. And, and so when we treat ourselves that way, then, and we stay in these, um, you know, fear modes where we need to have control over the people around us. But when we can treat ourselves that way and really offer ourselves self-compassion and, you know, honor our emotions when they come up and not try to shut them down and not try to um, be abusive to ourselves really is what we often do. And when we treat ourselves that way, we're tending, we tend to treat other people that way. So it all starts at home with our own, um, yeah, with our own self-care. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, from my own experience and growth, that couldn't be more important. One of the things I find in working with people all over the world is that they have that compassionate side of themselves for others, and perhaps they're beautifully holding space for others. But when it comes to looking at themselves, they can't always offer the same self-compassion, you know, the same compassion to be able to honor their feelings and treat themselves like they would treat another human being. Mm -hmm. So what do you offer, you know, to those that you work with to help them look within and to really see little baby steps that they can move forward with to honor themselves with compassion and the highest level of love. Yeah, it's, it really is a journey. And that's one of the things I tell people all along is don't expect to get the stuff overnight. Be start by being kind to yourself when you fumble, start by being forgiving and recognizing your imperfections and allowing those imperfections to just be in the world and admit them and, you know, be vulnerable about them and, and, and own them. And so one of the things that I teach, I have this model um, when it comes to holding space for ourselves called the spiral of authenticity. And what I teach people is that we have spent most of our early lives focusing focusing on our primary needs of safety and belonging. And, you know, every child is born in this world with three primary needs, safety, belonging, and identity. And identity is really their authenticity. And what happens early in life, we are told to give up our authenticity in the service of safety and belonging. So we learn to obey rules. We learn to, you know, we go to school and we learn to obey our teachers. We learn to behave according to the social patterns in the playground, etc. In all that time, we give up ourselves to a certain degree, little bit by little bit. We lose our own selves until we come into adulthood and we don't know how to connect with that anymore. Nobody's really modeled that for us. And so we we emerge, you know, still in that social patterning and all that social conditioning of our past. What we have to begin somewhere in midlife, there's this awakening. And that's when I talk about the spiral of authenticity. It, it requires us to go through this period of great, um, you know, often great, upheaval and you know chaos in our lives to try to find our way back to ourselves and that is uh, one of the things i tell people when clients come to me with this is you know they feel this great you know something going on that that feels really disruptive in their lives and they may feel disconnected from the people they once felt connected to 
And that's always for me a sign that they're beginning to reconnect with themselves and find their own identity and authenticity. And then it's a matter of following the journey and paying attention and asking yourself, what do I need today? How can I be kind to myself today? Keep it to those small steps. Keep it to this moment. How can I care for myself in this moment? Don't try to resolve everything for the next 10 years in this moment. Just deal with what's right in front of you. Mm, that's beautiful. And that, that shedding is like shedding everything that we've been taught to believe, to understand, to follow. It's, it's what I call the platter, right? right. What's on the platter. Yeah. And that is a huge, as you called it, an upheaval, a huge upheaval. Yeah. So when... Well, and we parent our place, our, our children from that place too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how things get passed down from generation to generation. You talk about your parents being controlling parents. Well, that was the only way they had modeled for them and they passed that down to you. And somehow we have to disrupt those patterns so that we can offer something different to our children. Absolutely. From a much more conscious place of who we truly are, who we were born into this world to be, right? And right. honoring that from, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, um, one of my curiosities is how did you actually fall into this or stumble into this or arrive <laughs> mm-hmm. in this arena? Well, I think the catalyst for it all began about... Um, 19 years ago, I ended up in the hospital um, in my third pregnancy, and suddenly my whole world was disruptive. I've disrupted itself. And, and uh, I've, I've sometimes said that was my first experience of social isolation because I suddenly had to put everything on hold and stay in a hospital room for this pregnancy that was suddenly at risk halfway through. They, they tried to do a surgery and it failed. And suddenly I had to try to just stay in a hospital bed to protect my unborn child. And that was a major disruption in a very busy life. And I had to sit with this and do my best to be at peace and calm in the midst of this um, anxiety and fear of losing my baby. And in that time, surprisingly, I'd ended up being three weeks in the hospital. I went into this quite spiritual place. It was like a, I said, I kind of felt like I was in an ashram where I'd gone into a kind of a forced meditative state. And I emerged from there. Unfortunately, my son died at the end of that. But I emerged from there with a lot of questions about how to be with that kind of fear and anxiety, how to... Um, how to let go of things that weren't important. And what happened in that time, surprisingly, because I was being quite intentional about trying to choose peace in in my own personal emotional state, people started coming to me in my hospital room. And I actually kind of became a life coach in the hospital room. I had (sighs) nurses and doctors and nurses aides that would just come and sit with me because they said, there's something so peaceful about just being in your presence. And So I kind of started coaching in this strange way in a hospital room. And after that, I didn't yet have the language of holding space, but that's when I started on this path, this inquiry into this deeper, more intentional way of living. And then I started, I was doing some early work in um, facilitation and coaching and exploring that path. And I'd come across this language around holding space. Um, at a conference that I attended, I think nine years ago, Authentic Leadership in Action. 
And that that made me really curious. Uh, and I so I started exploring it, reading as much as I could. The moment it really landed for me was um, now I think it's seven years ago. My mom died. And we sat by my mom's bedside for the last four or five days of her life when she was at home. And we had a palliative care nurse that was coming to provide care in the home. And there was something really remarkable and unique about the way this palliative care nurse showed up. And what ended up happening, took me two years, but two years later, I wrote a blog post about that nurse and about how she had held space for us in my mom's home so that we could hold space for my mom's dying. And that blog post went kind of viral, crazy viral. It was, it's been seen by probably close to 10 million people by now and really catapulted me into this work in a big way. And I just revealed to me how much desire there is for this kind of understanding and uh, how many other people are on a quest for understanding this concept. So that's really become what I've dedicated my life to. Wow. I mean, that is just incredibly powerful and gives me chills as you describe, you know, your journey here. And I think one of the the things that's really popping out for me and perhaps for our listeners as well is just how these two experiences were so challenging. And, you know, death is one of the worst experiences, you know, well, I think that we can experience. I don't know, haven't been there yet, but myself, but I think in watching others and the loss of others can be very, very uh, uh, harmful to our mental state of mind, you know, as well as many other things. And so for you to be able to take these, you know, these two experiences and create or feel the calling you know, perhaps the universe mm-hmm. was speaking to you. You said you became yeah. spiritual in the hospital when you were there for three weeks. And so just understanding your calling and rising to it and supporting the nurses and the doctors and the people in the hospital. And then, you know, writing this blog post and seeing how people needed to hear what you had to say and the power of that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is... um Really, my whole life, I've been a meaning maker. And I don't know if you've read um, Victor Frankelman's Search for Meaning. That sure have. Meaningful sure book have. for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really how I've been in my life is when really hard things happen, I, I work to make meaning out of them. And so I, I do a lot of writing in my journal and do a lot of storytelling, etc., and and creating these narratives and creative meaning out of the most difficult times of my life has helped me to survive them. But then it's also become part of my gift and part of what I, I support other people in doing. So it's been really an honor and, it, and it's really did help me a lot. When I lost my son, Matthew, for example, that time in the hospital and sitting with so many people who, like I say, that early days of life coaching, when my son did die, I was able to survive that with with a remarkable amount of peace and and reflection and and um, I didn't completely fall apart. I think because I was in that place of of finding some meaning in it. Would you again extremely powerful and thank you so much for sharing and being you know so vulnerable to offer um, your stories to those that are listening? Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you look at the phrase meaning maker and holding space in terms of you know how you see them blending together or do you see them blending together? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do see them blending together, I think. Um, but I, I, with that, I would urge some caution because sometimes when we're holding space for another person, we're trying to make meaning for them. And that's not what I would refer to as holding space, but rather when you hold space for another person, you create a, a container and a, a safe place for them to make meaning for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, the caution I would urge is uh, make meaning for yourself and do what you need to do to, to develop that. And people use art to process it. I use, I do a lot of writing, journal writing, etc. Find your own meaning, but don't impose your meaning on another person because they have to find their own, own meaning. <laughs> and I think when they feel safe enough, when they feel supported in having that meaning evolve for themselves, then they can find their own strength in that and emerge um, from whatever it is they're processing. Yeah, if we try to make meaning for others, then we're bringing that control back into what's supposed to be (laughs) non-controlled. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So talk a little bit about um, our comfort zones. You know, obviously, as we've been talking, many of us have not been trained, taught, you know, to live in this place that feels perhaps very much outside of our comfort zone. For me, I'm a big fan of living outside of the comfort zone because, you know, like the saying goes, I do believe that's where the magic happens. That's where we grow the most. Can you talk a little bit about finding comfort in the uncomfortable, which, you you know, you've certainly talked about as we've been going along here, but share a little bit more about that uncomfortable place that we can call, you know, that... Yeah. Yeah. uh, First of all, I say that everybody's got their own um, unique comfort zones. And Mm -hmm. one person who's been through a lot of trauma, for example, might have um, very controlled comfort zones because of their trauma. And so I, I never make assumptions about another person's comfort zones. I try to pay attention to my own and support them in maybe leaving their comfort zones, but helping them to identify what those zones are so that they can find their own way to take a step forward. But one of the things that I teach when I teach people coaching and facilitation is we no longer talk so much about just safe space. Like I used to, when I would talk about holding space, I'd say, well, I want to hold a safe space for people. But I don't really want to anymore. I want to hold a brave space. And that's the language that I now use because a brave space is one where you find the strength within yourself. You tap into your own resources so that you can find the courage to step forward out of that comfort zone. If you stay in the safe place, then it it kind of deteriorates into just comfort and comfort zones. But to find bravery, to find your resources, to tap into that. And that's where other people can support us. That's why holding space is so important. Because if I hold space well for another person, then they begin to see, oh, it's not such a scary thing to step out of this comfort zone because I'm still going to be loved. I'm still going to be supported in this uh, by whoever is in my life. Wow, that word brave is is such a powerful word to, to describe the space and even more powerful today in everything in 2020 that is happening in our world. It It also brings up the word courage too mm-hmm. in me, you know, because it takes a lot of courage and, and bravery. I mean, I see them as a little different and vulnerability. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that requires that we do our our um, self-check-in and that we do find our own self-soothing, that we learn how to self-regulate when our emotions, when our nervous system gets flooded. That's one of the most important things we can do is find what what are the things that I can do to soothe myself in this moment when my nervous system is completely out of whack and wants me to rush, you know, the fight, flight, freeze happens, etc. But what can I do to calm it. And that might require therapy. It might require, it might be that you just need to find a, you know, a support group of other people that are also trying to step out of their comfort zone, but don't, um, don't ever shame yourself for needing those kinds of comforts and, and, you know, ways of being self-soothed. That's what's going to help you be brave. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think a lot of people uh, from my own journey and experiences feel they should, quote unquote, should meditate or should journal or should do X, Y, and Z as a way to self-soothe. And I'm sure you would agree with this. One of the things that I always discuss with people is what fuels you, serves you, brings you that sense of calm and peace within because it's not what the next person does. It's not what the society tells you to do. It's what feels right within your own realm. And that's a really difficult thing, I think, for many people because we're listening to the outside noise, not the inside noise. Yes. And and something I've been learning is that for people with a, a lot of anxiety and trauma, sitting meditation can actually be kind of harmful for them mm-hmm. potentially if they because it can it forces your body into a, a, a lack of movement which is kind of like your dissociated freeze zone in the in the trauma you know responses so you may want to find a moving meditation instead and that's personally for me I have tried to do sitting meditation. It doesn't work so well for me. So I, I walk labyrinths or even I just go out for a walk in nature. That's more works better for my body and for my own mind. Um, so yeah, find what works for you and, and don't ever shame yourself for something that everybody tells you is a great thing. If it's not great for you, it's not meant for you. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So I'd love to know how this has going to step into your your children's zone here, if you don't mind. Uh But how has this helped your your kids? How have they adopted or practiced um, holding space? Have you shared, taught? What's it like in your family? Do you mind me asking? It's been a real journey. I mean, I can't say that all of the skills I talk about now, I I was as fluent in when my children were small. So I made all the mistakes every parent makes in their early years. I was in my own stuff and, and hadn't done a lot of healing and um, had some significant challenges in my marriage in, in the early years. And so um, I say, first of all, I made lots of mistakes. The beauty is my kids are now old enough. The youngest just turned 18. So they're uh, all in young adulthood. And we now have these really beautiful conversations where we can hear things that um, we may not have been able to hear from each other earlier. I've had some really quite challenging conversations about my daughter's needing to express some of the things that they felt maybe betrayed by me in earlier years. Um, especially when I was navigating a failing marriage. And my youngest was 13 when I got divorced. So it was a really difficult time for her to go through. So, but because I've, I've done these skills that have helped me stay calm and I've really worked on this, I can 
I can sit there and hear them say what they need to say without overreacting or, you know, or blaming or shaming, et cetera. And that allows us to be more and more authentic with each other. And we've really grown our relationships and our truth telling in our relationships for which I'm really grateful. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, you know, quote unquote mistakes are also learning opportunities and, mm-hmm. and opportunities to grow and, and really expand our horizon in terms of what we see and how we behave. What a beautiful opportunity to create such deep relationships with your girls at this mm-hmm. point. Love yeah. that. Thank you for sharing. So I'd love to ask you if you have any parting words or places you'd like to share in terms of our listeners to be able to go and find out more about you. I know you have your incredible book coming out uh, in the fall and certainly look forward to sharing that uh, the fall of 2020, I might add. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I I'm, I write on my blog quite regularly. So I just, everything is at heatherplett.com. And I do have some great, some pieces that I've written specifically on parenting there. Um, and as you say, I have a book coming out. I also teach the Holding Space Practitioner Program uh, once a year. It's an eight month program. Um, and I do some smaller versions as well on, on, uh, and some in person. I do retreats all over the world. Hopefully we'll be moving <laughs> come September. We'll be able to leave our homes again. Um, but I, um, we are just about to launch. We're, uh, we're growing this program, this Holding Space Practitioner Program. We're going to be certifying people in this coming year. So I encourage people to sign up for my newsletter. <coughs> Sorry about that. To get the latest news and to find out once we will we'll be launching in July, the next uh, registration for the program. So I. Yeah, I welcome people to find me online. I'm Heather Pletz on social media and heatherplett.com. Beautiful, beautiful. I look forward to watching your retreats continue to grow all over the world, either virtually or (laughs) with your travel as uh, the world will open up and allow us to do. Heather, thank you so much for joining me. It's just been a delight to talk about this very important uh, process that we can offer to ourselves and to others in holding space and to to bringing bravery you know to that um, stepping outside of ourselves and stepping outside of that comfort for ourselves and and being brave and doing it so thank you for sharing all that you shared and your stories I really appreciate it thank you very much for having me and thank you all t- listeners for joining us remember every moment is a new moment for conscious connections Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.